Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, with the February 25, 2014 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, Get Safe founding director Stu Haskin, along with Craig Rexrode and Heidi Campbell, will talk about Stu's self-defense organization that teaches young people skills and awareness techniques to help them navigate through life out there. Then, in the second half of the show... L.A. Times business columnist Michael Hiltzik will be in an excellent position to take the long view of the Comcast-Time Warner merger. But for now, I just want to take pause. Shirley Pally, some of you must may know about her, uh, passed away early this week, the mother of a hefty brood of four sons, educator, and a vigorous partisan campaigner. She may have registered many of you. You may remember the place that she kept for us down at the University Square place. Every time there was a campaign rolling around, she gave the local Dems a place to congregate and activate. Shirley, I hope you're having a good time with the other elder feminists up there who've contributed mightily. That's all the women for contributors and others. I appreciate everything you've done. We all do, Shirley. Farewell. Thank you for joining us. My first guests today are Stuart Haskin, Craig Rexrode, and Heidi Campbell. The U.S. Department of Justice has recently expanded on what constitutes rape and expanded on who the victims actually are. My next guests have been addressing these and many other complexities for several decades. First, Stuart Haskin founded Great Safe, Get Safe, it's great, in 1993. Stu is an Orange County Sergeant Reserve Deputy Sheriff with specialized training from the FBI, California Department of Justice, Diplomatic Security Service, and the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Also a 30-year practicing martial arts instructor and a state-certified sexual assault counselor and domestic violence counselor. He graduated from Cal State Fullerton with a marketing degree. Craig Rex Road, a Get Safe trainer, has for more than 25 years been in the business of threat assessment and mitigation, crisis communications planning, and hands-on response for Fortune 500 corporations, and managed major public events surrounding the high-profile political figures and celebrities. Names not drop, but just assume A-list folks when you listen. He completed his Bachelor's of Arts in Communications from the University of Pacific and was a veteran, he tells me, of that radio station, the college radio station, which is now an NPR affiliate. Heidi Campbell returns to Ask a Leader. A Chapman University graduate, Heidi has won two awards in excellence in teaching in the Newport Beach area. She is the mother now of seven-year-old triplets, one of whom is moderately autistic, she spoke previously as the founder of Innovative Teaching Technology for Autism, ITT Autism, which supports autistic children in the public schools and in the hospital setting and now collaborates with Stuart Haskin in ways that you will be hearing this morning. Stuart Haskin, Craig Rexrode, and Heidi Campbell join me here in Studio A. Welcome to the program, everyone. 
Good morning. We're going to do morning. a we're going to do a sound check here, and I think what we're going to do is ask for Stu to come and join me around the circle here with his seats because of the way these microphones are working. And Heidi and Craig are going to be together on their microphone. That's the way it works. We're going to be pitching for money uh, in our fund drive so we can get some help with the the uh, the microphones because they are really in sorry shape, folks. So let's let's go to the, our questions. As I mentioned earlier. The criminal justice system, justice system now recognizes the complexities of the assaults and the victims upon whom those assaults are perpetrated. It seems that you've been expansively targeting and incorporating many groups. Tell us about whom your clientele is, Stuart. Well, first, thanks for having us today, Claudia. Um, yes, we, we actually were just here at UCI teaching 130 sorority sisters. So we actually work a lot on campus. K through high school and college. So we're looking towards, you know, that's a hard question because we actually target everyone. We teach senior citizens exactly. and persons with disabilities. You say students from 5 to 80. Yes, 81 actually. So Eight. Okay, we don't want <laughs> to skip anybody. Yes, but uh, yeah, so we're always giving out tools. We do have a self-defense component, but a lot of our ultimate thing is to look for trouble and stay away from it. So we try and do a safety awareness and environmental safety. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure if anybody else wants to be adding to that while you're... Yes, Craig, Rex Road. Yeah, it, I mean, what what we talk about is the ability to go ahead and stay out of bad situations as opposed to just... Yes, so we go ahead and we look at, we look at um, other issues besides just straight self-defense, as Stuart had said. What we really look for is to try to make sure people have an awareness of their surroundings, they make good decisions, and they go ahead and look at doing the things that keep them in a safe environment. Uh, there's news that has just come out over the na- last several weeks where we see horrible situations where people have, you know, w- w- whether it's going to be a recent situation where there was a club incident or, you know, in Santa Barbara there was just an incident where a yes. young girl was walking from campus back to Isla Vista and was actually um, gang raped and beaten by three men. So, you know, I have a daughter that's at UCSB. We see the communication happening. And, you know, and the kids are taught over and over again, even here at UCI, and it's what we taught last week. We went ahead and, you know, you wanted to go ahead and take all precautions possible, walk with a partner. You want to go ahead and use escorts when you can. Those are the situations we try to reinforce. You know, be as safe as possible. Have a buddy system. Use the escorts when you can. Or if you're an adult, look at the situations that are around. Try to stay out of bad locations, bad situations that may harm you. Stuart, you want to add to that? Yeah, our ultimate goal is to have this education starting at kindergarten, so they have it. We do a lot of recovery training. That means they're survivors of sexual assault, physical assault, and so many of them have come into our classes and said, I wish I had this training when I was younger. And that's age ranging from 18, 19, 20, to 60-year-old women who are coming back into our recovery class. So our ultimate goal is to get that education out. Whether you look, I mean, even reading books on tips, take, you know, videos, anything you can get to give yourself a safer mindset when you're out there, just being aware. A lot of times people call you paranoid, but paranoid is looking for the aliens. Our goal is prepared prepared and and be aware of your surroundings. Well, is part of your strategy that you're in your um, pedagogy to routinize this training so instinctively somebody can respond in a hazardous, a potentially threatening situation. It's sort of like how athletes drill, other professionals drill, and so are military people drill. So in a way you're drilling self-defense. 
Yes, we, we have a little saying, train like you fight and you'll fight like you're trained. Oh, great. Be aware of your surroundings. I'm going to use, I'll let Craig uh, state the other quote, but I'm going to say, we don't rise to the occasion, but we fall to what training we have. So that means our awareness level, we'll see what's going on. It's the ones where you're not sure what to do, and so we want to give those tools out. Yes, Craig. The other thing that we see, people that we work with on a consistent basis, whether they be kids or they be adults, it's absolutely amazing how many people would say, you know, you ask them, you walk into a situation, how do you feel? Well, I don't feel good about it. Okay, what did you do? Well, I don't want to offend anyone, so I didn't leave. I didn't move out of the situation. I didn't do anything to go ahead and change. And we say, listen to that voice. We all have the voice inside of ourselves that we feel uncomfortable. We know it's a bad situation. We know that it's just not something that feels right. But we don't listen to that. More more times than not, people will go ahead and disengage that thought process or that feeling because they don't want to offend. They don't want to be the person that walks away from a bad situation. Stuart? They get embarrassed. You know, we talk about working through embarrassment. You know, sometimes they say, well, I'm getting a bad feeling, but maybe I'm... Maybe I've watched too many cops episodes or something going on. We want them to go, oh, this is not comfortable. Step out of the situation. Because at any time, no is okay. You know, So we teach to say the verbal awareness. Say, hey, I'm not comfortable here. And we try and communicate. And we communicate that with men and women. Not, it's just not a female-driven training. It's both men and female. No sets up a, sort of a, an instinct instinctual a clear boundary it's just sort of it's an act it's a gesture yes yes listening to it and being verbal because it's just verbal awareness as you're you're out there and we talk target denial so you can say things you start building it and it's not easy you know working around embarrassment is not easy i've had tons of situations and i teach assertive training and i've been out there where i've i had my wallet yeah, I should have done that, but I set it on the table at a juice bar, and a couple sits next to me, and I'm thinking, I need to grab that wallet because it's mine, and I don't, you know, in case someone wants to take it, but I'm too embarrassed because I don't want to make the other people feel bad. Like, oh, I'm thinking they're going to steal it, but that's really what we teach. It's okay to make someone else feel bad as long as you're being safe, and that's what we're trying to teach, working but, through that embarrassment. And it may be that they're not thinking that at all, so why bother with it? With the, they're not even thinking about that. Oh, they're I thinking they're you're not, an idiot for leaving your wallet there. Yeah, I'm an, yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, do as I say, not as I do, Claudia, right? <laughs> yes, I, I'm not sure. Did, Craig, did you want to add to that? Or, okay. And uh, So we're, we're juggling, folks, with uh, our microphones here. For those of you who just joined us, my guests are Stu Haskin, Craig Ruxrod, and Heidi Campbell as they collaborate on the many ventures in which their organization, Get Safe, is engaged. Well, um, there's another level of this, and we're, we'll talk specifically and get some case studies here in a bit, but in, certain, in terms of generalities, there's another dimension that Get Safe is contributing, and that's where Heidi's coming in with her developmentally dis- uh, delayed clientele, we'll call it, that there are individuals amidst us who are impaired, developmentally, physically, cognitively, whatever, and so part of what Stuart Rex. Craig and Heidi are working on uh, is a, a, a program to address developing compassion for people that are dealing with these disabilities. So um, I'd like, or compassion, let's call it empathy, I think is more the precise term. So I want for Heidi to get adjusted to that, really close to that microphone, and tell us what kinds of things you're now taking up. It's really kind of, I think it's, a, it's new. This is, it's yours uh, that you guys own. Yeah, this is the innovative piece uh, that I'm, I'm bringing to, you know, to our collaboration that I'm very excited about. You know, I've been overwhelmed and 
very impressed with these gentlemen at Get Safe and just how much they've done over their 30 years of helping individuals with a mental disorder or disability. Um, what ITT Autism is bringing is the ability to take Get Safe's GSCAT program, which is offered through the regional center. This is how I was introduced to them. And the GSCAT program is uh, Get Safe's community advocacy training. And so if I'm tutoring and working with an individual who is going to be going out into the community and needs to learn about healthy relationships, uh, boundaries, how to properly and safely interact with law enforcement, fire, if there's a first responder. Uh, we are working with taking the curriculum that Get Safe has worked on and, in my opinion, has you know done a fabulous job uh, and getting it on interactive technology and software through the help of Dr. Howard Shane back at Boston Children's at Harvard Medical School. And in addition to that, Get Safe is also promoting a bullying prevention program where we're reaching out to 30,000 school children this year. And what is so unique with this program is the inclusion piece of it, that teaching tolerance, teaching that there are going to be individuals. I mean, one in 50 children now are on the autism spectrum and teaching that inclusion piece is so critical. And the other two components that I'm a proud to be a part of is the leadership skills for the neurotypical children. If they're observing bullying occurring, how do they respond to that? Giving them those leadership skills, one more tool as they move forward in life. And lastly, uh, Stuart and Craig are adamant about rehabilitating the bully, not removing the child who's making the poor decisions, but getting to the heart of why the decisions are being made and getting them back into the group and giving them the opportunity to make better decisions and to be mentors. And I like, uh, while you were talking about the earlier part of the program, and uh, uh, it's not just tolerating, I guess it's just familiarity. Is, and You've talked about how they assume the role of someone who has some kind of a disability. You talk about removing a consonant or two so that people know what the speech is like, uh, speech impairments, and how... how it, just uh, unbelievably structural the problem is for that person. So Stu can add to that. Yes, real quick. It's We do a lot of interactive exercises. So what we want to try and do is if we're in, a, in front of a group, we'll say, all right, repeat the sentence, I like Italian food without the I. All right, so let the listeners think for wow. a second. And uh, you know, usually get I like it or I love Italian food, but... But Italian you say I, I, yes. I, yep. the first person goes. And we've had district attorneys, me like sheriffs, police officers, and everyone's kind of stunned for a second. And the answer is pasta rocks. But that delay takes a second. So whether you're with friends, maybe you're younger kids, and maybe English isn't the primary language, or there's a delay, a developmental disability, there's a delay. So we kind of walk in their shoes for a second and realize that delay is not because someone's not bright or dumb or... It's just because their process is different, and we're just trying to show that. So we've had great success after that because people realize, wow, that is hard to process that. And even law enforcement, when they approach someone with a developmental disability, they realize when they're asking them questions that the delay is going to be there or the eye contact's off a little bit. And you're the delay in every, what do you call it, normally neurologically... The neurotypical people, they're going to experience that delay in trying to figure out how to come up with that expression, pasta rocks. And if they do, so they're, they're also structurally understanding what that delay is about in terms of performing 
fluidly in any situation. Exactly. And so then you also have the lights and the sirens, and it gets a, it becomes a scary situation. Or if you're like I said, we just taught uh, 25 fifth graders from Santa Ana. And we put them through that exercise, and then they realize that maybe some of their friends will take a little longer to process an answer, and that makes them more understanding, and that makes us all in more harmony. And when they left our group, everyone was, they were bonded, and they got, had a better understanding of each other, and that was a great day for us, because that's what we want. We want to make and help people become better and more understanding. Yeah, and you're not not changing everybody. This is not the goal. Everybody's just getting a better understanding, and it's yeah. I can just sort of see how it sort of lifts the whole the whole mood of well, you know, of the what, setting. What was great about that day was 25 kids from Santa Ana. There were a portion of those kids who were actively being bullied at school. That's why they were targeted by the GRIP program from the DA's office okay. and the Santa Ana Police Department. The other piece was that we brought leaders in. They identified leaders in the school as well and they were part of the group and some of the bullies were actually part of that group so instead of saying okay you're all victims we're going to bring you in and we'll fix you we said no these are three pieces of the message that we need to talk about you're all going to be a group we're not going to segregate anybody you're all part of this and part of it was bullying prevention what is bullying how do i identify it the other one's personal safety for these kids that's something that's being left out of where they need in their lifetime what are appropriate boundaries with adults I mean, we're seeing incidents at schools all over California where teachers may have overstepped at this, you know, in, in horrible situations. So what we have is the ability for the kids to be able to tell an adult what's an appropriate boundary, what do I need to do, and what's, what is right. And the other third part is inclusion. If we give these kids these tools to understand bullying and to go ahead and have personal safety boundaries and then at the same time go ahead and give them some inclusion training so they have tools to recognize others, We've done a great service to go ahead and allow these kids to become better kids, better teenagers, better adolescents, and better adults moving forward. Is there any chance we can get a kind of an update on some case studies, how some success stories, easy for me to say. <laughs> say that again? Success one more time. stories, all right. Um, yes, absolutely. And we hear, we get testimonies, I mean, from high-level predator actions that were averted. I mean, we had a child who... We always said, don't go to the adult house with all the cool games unless your parents have told you it's okay. All of this child's friends were going to this home, and the mom said, no, you learned. You're not supposed to do that. He was in our class. He says, I'm not going to do that. Uh, two weeks later, the, general, the guy was picked up on as predator charges. So those are the things we like to see. Then we've had you know case studies where they've come up. I wouldn't call them case studies. We call them students. They come in and say, yeah, I've just learned to be more understanding and more tolerant because we – we work with both levels. You know, we want the bully to be re- rehabilitated so they can become part of society and make make change instead of just being cast aside and then spiral into incarceration or something. Because thirty five percent of bullies that aren't helped yeah. are found in incarceration. I wanted um, to direct our attention now for uh, for those of you who are listening. You're tuned into KUCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine, streaming live on campuses around the world on the web at KUCI.org. And we're going to talk now about how Get Safe is going to be, uh, they're on the calendar at UCI next month. Give us some dates, times, and uh, people to contact for um, that training here. Because it's a, it's a, okay, well, we'll we're going to, you can go to the, um, let's see, I'm not sure I wrote it down. Yeah, they own. can come to our website, GetSafeUSA.com, and see a calendar of events going on. We also have a training facility in Tustin. 3053 Edinger Avenue in Tustin. 
can call the, us anytime to find out. We also have a training on campus here, but it's for peer educators. Correct. But we have we all have plenty of community trainings going on. So just reach out to us at getsafeusa.com, and we can help you find some trainings. So it's the UCI peer education program that's called Right to Know, and uh, you can check out on the website. At, it's the counseling office at UCI that will give you some more information about that in upcoming uh, matters. Now, what I wanted to do with some of the time remaining is break down what happened at that travesty where Kim Pham was killed outside of a nightclub in Santa Ana. Knowing what you know about the altercation outside of the Santa Ana nightclub. I know it's a live case now, and I'm not asking you to make any kind of a legal pronouncements, but I think everybody gets a little bit about the dynamic surrounding that situation. I'd like for Stu and Craig to address what could have been done during that altercation, and I want you to think about um, the the situation. There's a large, uh, there was a, there are a lot of bystanders around. They're all different sizes and builds and abilities. What would you suggest for the first the generalized bystander? Then I want to break it down with some other partners, players in that situation. Craig, well, let's let's address that this was a horrible tragedy. Uh, first and foremost, any time that there's a loss of life or if there's anything in these situations, and we see them quite often, it, it's it's incredibly disappointing and it's just a travesty. It's horrible. Any time that there's a loss of life. Without knowing all the details, and if you look at the news right now, and we go through it, and and we work with law enforcement, you know, we all the information is not out, and the hearing is not here, and we do not know everything that has happened. So, what I will tell you is what we talked about a little bit earlier. If you are in a group situation, whether it be a club, whether it be a restaurant, um, it is a serious <laughs> um, uh, ability that we all have is to sense bad situations. If there was an issue at that club earlier and there were tensions that were running high, you remove yourself. If you are looking and if you get a, you're in a club situation which is volatile, we all know that those situations are. There are a lot of people. It's crammed in a very tight space. Alcohol can be an influence. This was outside, though. This was outside. Okay. But we don't know what happened before. No. And there were discussions about there were things that happened before that. We don't know yet. But I will tell you that when tensions elevate, you have the opportunity to walk away. That's one. That's I'm, one. I'm, I'm still faced with when I'm uh, – the rare instances where I've been amidst some uh, violent altercation going down, the nausea has overtaken me. That's my reaction. I'm not fear, sure. but the nausea, which may be part of a manifestation of fear – I'm not very, very big. I'm not built or anything like that. But I am seized with the need to stop what's going on. I can't necessarily physically undo what's... I can't intervene necessarily, but I want to look for somebody big and tough enough to stay stopped because I'm I'm revolted by what's going on. I can't walk away. I just can't mental, uh, morally. I mean, the first thing you do is step to a place of safety because okay. the, it's the bystanders who generally get punched a lot. In different situations, okay. You have a cell phone. Call nine one one and say it's an emergency. Get them there. Look for security if you're at a place something like that. Because here's the hard part: is sometimes as a female, you say you're not very big and not super strong, and you're going to look to a male who probably may not have. Well, you're a little strong. I just she just flexed her muscle. Not too bad. I'm a little embarrassed now. Um, no, I'm not. You may, I'm gimpy. <laughs> but you may look to a male who has no physical skills and may not want to get in. You can ask for sure and just say, hey, we need to get help here. But make sure you call 
Call 911. Get the police there. Look for security in the area. Look for someone out there who can draw some attention. Because those are the things we need to do. And I agree. You know, you don't want to leave the situation. No. But you do want to do something that you can do. And that's not jumping in and being attacked. It's also it's getting on the on the phone and getting assistance out there ASAP and and creating attention. You know, you can use your voice. Get away from them from far. You know, draw it. And the police are on their way. Anything you can do to try and shake it up and see what's going on here is there anything different a different role between the bystanders people who aren't familiar with those that were involved and the friends of kim's and the now the ones that have been incarcerated is there any different role for them if you know the people is there something you do differently Stuart? I, I think no matter what you do, if your friend's there, you're going to try and break it up, of course. You're okay. not going to leave them and so get you out got of a there. Pa- you've got a package, of, a, a tool set to deal with that. Yeah, you, I mean, a of course, you're going to try. Yeah, you you can use a physical or verbal restraints to try and get them out of there. Try, and it's it goes before the fight as well, de-escalating your friends, you know, and saying, hey, listen, this is not worth it. Because, you know, it's so funny. You have, we have these amazing MMA athletes that are out there. But they still fight with rules. That's the world ma- martial yeah, arts. Mixed martial arts. Mixed yeah, martial arts. You know, it's stand up. It's it's uh, uh, ground fighting. But they still have rules. You can't hit here. You can't do this. There's a referee there. But when you're out in that street, you got to tell your friend, let's back out. And this is no way. We have no idea what happened, Miss Fam. And it's a horrible tragedy, like Craig said. So we're not victim blaming or second guessing. We're just. I'm just taking this as a general thing. If Craig and I and Heidi are out, and Heidi wants to go fight someone. Which she does a lot. I I say hardly. You know, no, she's not. She's a peacemaker. But I, I'll say, please, you know, let's just get out of here and get to a safe area because we don't know what variables happen. You know, ground is hard. Weapons are out there. You know, getting kicked, doing different things that can happen. Right. There wasn't a weapon involved. There was. There were fists. Involved. And it's there was your hands okay, and your legs th- and your kind. feet. That's a that's a horrible weapon, and we've had many a people. Go down very fast. Do you and think hard that's the the lack of? A, I mean, that the hands were the only weapon. Was the why people were sort of uh, kind of uh, dull in their response, and they're thinking that uh, they're they're okay just to I start can't filming even this. Begin to guess what was going on there. I just wasn't there. There's not a lot of detail out there, so I can't guess what's going on there. I just think sometimes we do have that mentality where it's a fight, and it seems like everything's okay and safe, and everyone's you know fight, fight, fight. But we know. Because this is what we do, statistical, and see how even high-level martial artists have been jumped and, and hit and hurt extremely bad. Craig. I, you look at, look, the, the best situation you have to look at, if you're going to fight, somebody will be hurt. You will be hurt or somebody else will be hurt. Mike Tyson was the most formidable heavyweight that probably boxing has ever known. He got into an altercation outside without gloves, without a referee. What happened? He broke his hand. This is the heavyweight champion who's thrown hundreds of thousands of punches. He gets in one altercation outside without gloves, and he breaks his hand. I don't care who you think you are or how tough you are. You will get hurt. This is not to be used. You don't use your martial arts training to go ahead and instigate. You know What we try to do is it's completely defensive, and you try to get yourself out of that situation. The absolute best defense we teach is a Nike defense. And that's put on your Nikes and go the other way. Ah, okay. We're not sponsored Stu- by Nike. We would like to be, but <laughs> but we do start very young, and we teach about running away is your best defense if you can. Our thing is, but it's that's what we talk about because even we've had silly little basketball games with you know these young kids, and someone pushes someone over a foul, they trip, they hit their head, and go into a concussion or a coma. And so those are the things we, as Craig said, somebody will generally everyone gets hurt. 
and we just want to stay away from fighting, you know. It's so I know your outreach, as we wrap up the interview this morning, your outreach is through the, your website uh, for people to find out what other resources are available, where your next programs are going to be, or how to set up some programs at GetSafeUSA.com. So, and Craig, you had something else to add as we wrap. No, it's... It- we, our programs are for community-based as well. We also, through our training center, provide a kids' academy. We've trained 100,000 people over the last 30 years. So it's not new for us. We try to work with the kids in a kids' academy. We have adult classes as well. So we work with every segment of the community. If you have a need, we can always go ahead and find something to help you out. All right. And Heidi had one last word to say here. Yeah, I just wanted to share that my 7-year-old son, yes. who is on the spectrum, was just recently involved in a bullying incident. And... My triplets are in the Kids Academy, and we are using that as a resource, I am personally, to empower my children. And I would encourage anyone listening, you know, we are working on getting in the schools, making this an annual training for all children and administrators throughout California. Okay. We're going, we want to go big with this. Uh, But in the meantime, if there is a parent, a grandparent, uh, who is experiencing bullying for their child or grandchild, please reach out to Get Safe. We have a kids' academy. We have the ability to counsel and work one-on-one. So don't wait. Uh, so we can be proactive about that by contacting us. And I, I guess what I want to just summarize for um, for everybody is that the, I understand the clientele for Get Safe is for anyone. It it's, could be uh, the school grounds. It could be domestic violence. It could be... Uh, the clergy who is out of line. There is every single arena. You you don't shy away from single one of them. So I, it's time that I have to wrap up. Yes, Stu had one final word, and then we got to wrap. Yeah, our motto is have safety, will travel. So we can go anywhere, anytime, and teach, or you come at any situation. It really is just about safety, and everyone should have that in their life. Well, fine. Thank you. It's all the time we have. Thank you, Stu Haskin, Craig Rexrode, and Heidi Campbell, all team members of Get Safe, equipping any and all individuals with techniques to get and stay safe. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Claudia. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Michael Hiltzik, business columnist at the LA Times. He received his undergraduate degree at Colgate University and his graduate degree in journalism at Columbia University. Having covered stories in bureaus around the world with his 30, over 30 years at the LA Times, Mike is known most recently for his column about business and economic issues on the West, U.S. West Coast. Author of five books, Michael Hiltzik's most recent business arenas, or his most recent book is The New Deal, offers a clear view of antitrust forces at work in the governmental, political, and business arenas with the thoroughness and the urgency of a muckraker. I hope you take that as a compliment. So uh, digging mightily and insightfully into the underbelly of business as usual, whether it is British Petroleum, California's water guzzlers, online gambling, or American automakers, he covers it all. Today, he joins us to talk about Comcast $45 billion acquisition of Time Warner contemplated, and we'll talk about the regulatory process ahead, the effect on consumers, and possible outcomes. It is a pleasure to have him with us today. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Michael Hiltick. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, let's start. Uh, all of your, uh, all of you financial analysts give uh, the review of this deal about a year to take. Uh, what is do you, what's a comparable development in American financial histories uh, to history to help us wrap our fertile minds around what looms? Well, uh, this is certainly one of the biggest deals that's ever come down the pike, and it's a particularly complex one because of the the industry that it involves. Uh, it involves not only uh, broadcasting and, and cable, but also um, the Internet uh, service industry. So that's going to demand a lot of scrutiny, not only by the Department of Justice, which has primary antitrust jurisdiction, but the Federal Communications Commission, which has jurisdiction over broadcasting and, to a certain extent, uh, cable companies, but also over the Internet. Very good. You're laying out already the, uh, where the the, um, the process is going. Now, just, just at the up front here of the interview, do you see that this is a done deal, this merger? No, not at all. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a lot of examination of this deal. There's going to be a lot of opposition to it. Uh, uh, there's going to be opposition to it, I think, from uh, the broadcast industry. You're going to see some opposition to it from big um, uh, from companies that have uh, a, a lot of business on the Internet, and that includes Netflix and Google, which owns YouTube. And you're certainly going to see a lot of opposition to it from the, uh, the, the consumer advocacy community, the free speech community, and the net neutrality community, uh, all of whom have lots of lobbyists in Washington. So it's going to be, uh, there really is going to be a lot of discussion about this and a lot of debate and there'll be public hearings. Uh, it's not by any means a done deal. Well, as I'm looking at what all of the newspapers, including the L.A. Times, are covering, it looks like Comcast has really uh, set the board up for a, 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 a well-played hand here in terms of all of the representatives that they're, uh, they've marshaled in to speak on their behalf. And I guess I, I just quickly will also mention the uh, the. The, the, by numbers here that um, as I look at the uh, it's the Center for Responsive Politics and their OpenSecrets.org they've cited that Comcast War Chest includes 107 lobbyists 86 of whom are revolvers whether it's in the congressional uh, domain or in a regulatory um, agency where those they have, they have been previously employed so it's uh, it's a just a formidable kind of of a uh, a campaign that they've set up. Well, that's true, but they're not the only players in the field. And some of the uh, some of the uh, players who are going to be on the other side have plenty of money and plenty of lobbyists too. Uh, certainly, Netflix and Google uh, aren't going to take this lying down. No. Um, and and the other point is that all of this is really going to have to play out in public. So uh, I think any efforts to to cut a secret deal, they just won't fly. Well, I, I don't, I don't mean a secret deal, but I just uh, let's just say the lubrication in in what these revolved uh, uh, lobbyists um, are able to contribute in their sort, of their all their mighty uh, in, uh, institutional knowledge. Uh, I mean, I'd like to single out the um, the previous uh, FCC. Uh, oh my gosh, where have I written her down? Uh, the FCC uh, commissioner, who I think she joined Comcast just 
within a half month after she uh, in a it, uh, early uh, resigned from the Federal Communications Commission. So that was um, a bit, little bit. Oh, that's Meredith Atwell Baker. She was she was due to resign in June of 2011, but uh, at the end of May uh, is when she submitted her resignation so she could join Comcast. So it's uh, really, um, I, she knows exactly what's going on. She was, uh, uh, so that's a concern I think we all have, we should have. Well, I, I think actually the concern that we had about Meredith Atwell Baker was that she was at the commission uh, when she was voting on Comcast's right. last big deal, which was to acquire NBC, right? So she's not at the commission anymore, so I think she's done her magic and moved Int- on. Um, so this is a new deal. She's not on the commission anymore. She doesn't have a vote. Um, no, I understand. I, um, uh, so, so I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think her case is an illustration of the revolving door, but but it's not necessarily a direct factor in what's going to happen uh, in the future. It's, it's a warning that there is a revolving door, but she's already gone through it. So, uh, uh, but as I said, uh, Comcast is not the only player in the field. There are going to be uh, plenty of other players with a great deal of influence and money on the other side, so anything can happen. Well, um and so let's break down where, what effect it has. And I'm glad you mentioned in the, your first answer that, uh, that the, it's not just about entertainment. It's, I, I look at this as a, a the more generally applying to, uh, the telecommunications as a utility. And that's why it's, it's so, such a, a major kind of influence on all of us. Well, yes, it's going to have uh, influence on uh, the way we watch television. It's going to be, it's going to have influence on how much we pay, uh, and it's uh, going to have influence on the way we use the internet and how much we pay for that. So there are a lot of uh, reverberations from this deal, uh, no matter how it plays out. And I look over my shoulder as I'm looking at all of you analysts talking about the effect of a consolidation of ownership such as this one contemplated by Comcast, where the, the whole bundling behavior uh, is certainly uh, shuffled around. Some of us uh, don't uh, have all of those uh, aspects in our bundle. We've, we've chosen not to have cable. We've chosen not for some other things. But, uh, but with Comcast consolidation, it sort of threatens our ability to unbundle, does it not? Well... I'm not sure this deal does, but uh, certainly the, the, the cable operators are against unbundling. Uh, but, of course, what you see is that um, people are unbundling, and, and yes, as they unbundle from, from their cable channels, they're bundling in with services that they still require their cable operator to provide because in, for, for most households, cable operator is the Internet provider. So, right. So, yeah. But you, but there's still a way. Um, yes, does take go it separately. Then, uh, and Susan Crawford certainly addressed this on so many other media outlets. Is the whole kind of inhibition, in, inhibition? I'm sorry of the the uh, innovation uh, in and the expansion of infrastructure for higher broadband capacity. Right. Well, in this country, we have not seen enough of that, and and the reason is that we don't have genuine competition for Internet service to the home. Um, we all know, whether you're in Irvine or anywhere else, that uh, in most cases, if you're in a, if you're in a house or have an apartment, you really have one practical choice uh, for 
Internet service, and it, in most cases, it's your cable company, um, whether it's Cox or Time Warner or Comcast uh, r- right now. Uh, some communities have fiber optic connections from Verizon, but Verizon has, stopped, Verizon has stopped building that out, so if you don't have it now, you're not going to get it. Um, phone companies, AT&T and Verizon, offer DSL, which I think in most communities is just not as fast and not as convenient as, as cable. It's horrible. So we do have a problem with competition, and the cable operators really do not have a competitive incentive to improve speeds or keep their costs low. They don't. I do. I feel like I, it's, I'm absolutely unable to deal with uh, getting better responsiveness, just, just in the way AT&T handles their accounts, because they know that, that there's, there isn't any competition there. So, and then in, in dealing with that competition, there's that element, too, uh, where uh, how does this affect uh, then the municipalities' ability to create their own cable systems, which some are in the process, some have already done in other part, in parts of the country. Well, municipalities can do it, uh, but it's very expensive, and I think every municipality has to ask itself: uh, is, it, is Do we have the money to put up for this? Uh, is it worth it? Will we get uh, subscribers? Um, will we get enough subscribers to to pay it off? Uh, and uh, you know, is this a service? that's important enough for us to be in the business. And some have decided yes, um, and some, I think, have been uh, discouraged by the sheer cost of it. Well, for those of you who have just joined us, my guest on this portion of Ask a Leader is Michael Hiltzik, Pulitzer Prize-winning business columnist at the L.A. Times, here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming around the world on the web at KUCI.org. Well, um, I've, I just wanted to, we, we've talked about the, uh, formidable sort of planning of Comcast's, um, uh, group, uh, going into this that, uh, David Cohen, the executive, uh, uh, overseer of the, the governmental operations, uh, we're talking about the, the FCC has jurisdiction, the Justice Department has jurisdiction. I guess as people are starting to feel that sense of, um, of the vastness, the extensive reach here of this kind of a merger. Uh, what, Michael, do you see as a way for an, one individual to, to be able to contribute their part into advocating their case? Well, there are some choices. Uh, I think every individual really uh, needs to be in touch with uh, his or her uh, congressional representative. Uh, I think we all have to... Um, Keep pressure on the FCC, uh, which is, after all, a public agency. So those are, those are really the inflection points. And yes, and Tom Wheeler already—he's got on his plate already the whole the rule revision for uh, the internet that was a- appealed recently, um, the, the, the broadcast internet package. So that's that's in play. And I, I guess I want us to think about here today too, um, Eric. Holder in the Attorney General in the Justice Department, his plate is really pretty full with his remaining years in this administration uh, dealing with the Voting Rights Act, marriage equality, and um, their defense of the administration, I call it their exuberant level of deportation. So how how qualified do you see the uh, Justice Department in making the case for the public? Well, they're qualified. <laughs> I mean, the question is whether they will invigorated. Actually- do it. Um, so um, I, I think 
the only way really to know is to is to keep an eye on them and and see what what they do. Um, they're not going to be able to do this in secret. The spotlight certainly is going to be on them, so that's uh, probably in the public's favor. Well, I there's that f- sort of famous kind of a or well known established. Uh, political uh, economic model about log rolling. And so uh, Comcast has to do only one thing. They need to to get this merger through and they're focused on that. And a lot of advocates that would be involved in intervening, slowing down, stopping the merger, those activists are fighting a lot of different battles. They're in the small, I mean, the the rulemaking for the internet neutrality to be maintained, which I was saying earlier about what's on Tom Wheeler, Commissioner Tom Wheeler's plate. So there's, the log rolling is being done by Comcast and the other people, the advocates who want to slow down that merger are dealing with so many issues with uh, various entitlements, uh, funding of education, uh, of, uh, Financing uh, institutions, banking, oversight of uh, securities uh, uh, being regulated, all that kind of a thing. So uh, I, I'm concerned about how the the balance of power here is is going to play out over this year of of the merger being looked at. It's not not the bright lights on it. It's just we've got a a cadre of very active and uh, uh, advocates with so much on their plate. Well, I suppose that's true, but I, I think they'll. I, I don't think. Uh, I, I think they'll be able to handle it. Um, frankly, um, I, I don't think that will prevent them from uh, that they can... from being effective in this case. Okay. Well, I really appreciate we're talking with Michael Hiltzik, the financial uh, economic business uh, columnist at the L.A. Times. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist there, and we're talking about the Comcast merger with Time Warner, $45 billion, that's with a B, uh, dollars here. So I guess to, to wrap up with the interview, uh, which I pre- so appreciate your time today, Michael, um, were this merger successful, what's left for Comcast to gobble up, or is the mer- this particular merger the su- a sufficient endgame for them? Well, I don't know where the end game is. Uh, if this goes through, I'm, I'm sure they will still have um, more to do, but it, it will take them a while to digest this if, if it gets approved in the next year or so. Okay. Well, I really do appreciate your time, Michael Hiltzik, today. Uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, as I said, LA Times business columnist. Thank you for being on Ask a Leader today. It's my pleasure. Okay. And we'll look forward to your coverage of this along with Megan, James, and Joe Flint's coverage as well. So take care. All the best. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, folks, thank you for joining us today. Sing a song of sixpence, pocket full of rye. Four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was open, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before a king? The king was in his counting house, counting out his money.